This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Ladies and gentlemen, are you out there? Tonight, we are going to strut and stroll, lose control, save your soul, all in the name of rock and roll. But before we begin, we have one question for you. One question for you. How did Morris wind up in the movie? You're listening to See Here. see here podcast and tim is just going to ask the question that i'm dying to know the answer to yes on this episode we're going to be talking about a little film from 1998 called still crazy further details as we progress but let me introduce my compadres my friends my bandmates from all around the world this is truly an international program are you listening out there on my left of a skype screen from seoul south korea mr tim merrill Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, and all points in between. In the middle of my Skype screen, I have, from the very rockin' town of Bath in England, Mr. Bernard Stickwell. Hello. That's the way to spend a Saturday night. And on the right of my screen, I have the man <laughs> who requested that we talk about this movie, so we thought, well, only fair to invite him to discuss it with us from Ann Arbor, Michigan, the security, the man who keeps the rock stars safe from their fans. Mr. Eric, I don't give a fuck about the public reanimator. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Does that title work? I don't know. Anyway. Sure. (laughs) Kick out the jams, right? Kick out the jams, motherfucker! So, yes, we're here to discuss a film from 1998 directed by Brian Gibson. It's called Still Crazy. So we have a lot to discuss about this film, all sorts of themes running to it, as well as surface stuff. So we're going to play you the trailer. And then we'll be back in a moment to discuss Still Crazy. You're listening to See Here Podcast, episode 39. Well, there's only two reasons to get you to haul your ass up here. Either I owe you money, or you want to put the barn back together. They were called Strange Fruit. Strange Fruit. Been fruits a long time. So, which fruit's which, then? Well, I'm posh fruit. And they were one of the greatest bands of the 70s. They all hated each other in the end. Oh, it's a bit heavy. That was then. This is now. How's business? Slow. The only thing I have of value is this. What is it? Jimi Hendrix's tooth. So you gave it all up for this. Don't tell me it hasn't haunted you. Money, hit records, be famous. We bollocks it all over again. 
gonna live with you. No, move, Dwight. Where to? Over there. One, two. <laughs> Hello, Wembley. Wow! God, it's Nate and the Living Dead, too. Well, maybe we should agree. What key it's in? B flat, C. G. You can find yourself another singer. Pretty pointless reunion. This was our second shot. Why couldn't you bury the past before it buried us? But when the music still matters. I want to stand in the dark and see an audience feel the way I do. And the passion still burns. I'm not 50! You're never too old. To rock and roll. Hollywood Bowl. That was a great gig. We never played the Hollywood Bowl. That's one of my most vivid memories. Wait! So what do you want from me? Still crazy. Sign this place. Sure, oh, man. Best wishes. To who? I need a signature for the pizzas. And we're back. Thanks for joining us. It's truly our privilege to talk for your oral entertainment. But we're also here because we love music-related films and we just want to shoot the shit and we'd be doing this anyway. But we're pleased that you've chosen to join us on this journey. Still Crazy is the film from 1998 that we're discussing. The director was Brian Gibson. The writers, I was very pleased to see, were two people who were responsible for a favourite film of mine, Dick Clement and Ian Lafrenet. I hope I'm getting that right. With something of an all-star UK cast, Stephen Rear, Billy Connolly, Jimmy Nail, Timothy Spall, and I'll have a lot to say about him, Bill Nye, Helen Bergstrom, have I got that right? Yes. And, and Julia, I, or, Julia Aubrey. I think that's pronounced Billy Connolly. Billy Connolly. <laughs> oh, that's right. We, did, we agreed at the end of the last program that I was going to be doing a lot of this show in my best Billy Connolly accent. <laughs> I'm, I'm going, before we get into the story, do the opening monologue of the film, just so I can get this out of the way. History teaches us that men behave wisely once they've exhausted all other alternatives. For most rock bands, the pursuit of wisdom's a low priority compared to fame, fortune, and fornication. Now, if there are any Scots out there, you can please write back and tell me whether I've just gone and declared war on your nation. But I like to think that I did a pretty good job there. Let's do the uh, Wikipedia description of the film and then we'll get into uh, our own thoughts and our own description. So Still Crazy is a 1998 British comedy film about a fictional 1970s rock band called Strange Fruits, who, after being split up for two decades, are persuaded to get back together to perform at a reunion of the same concert venue where they played their last gig. The film focuses on the personal lives of the band members and those closest to them and their individual experiences with approaching middle age and the success that eluded them. Not a bad description, I think. Yeah, there's plenty to discuss here, but because you're our guest, Eric, the first question goes to you. This was your request. What was it about this film that appeals to you or otherwise? Why did you select it? There's a lot of things about this film that appeals to me, and I, I did rewatch it yesterday. It's a film I've watched multiple times over the years. It's a film that I'm not going to say is an A-plus film by any stretch of the imagination. It's a solid, working-class, well-made film 
about people in the middle age who are dealing with unresolved traumas from their past. And it happens to be that they're in a rock band or they were in a rock band. And it's the kind, to me, it's the kind of film we don't see a lot of anymore. Occasionally we do see it, and usually it definitely does not come out of Hollywood that deals with these issues of, of broken trusts and aging group of people who shared, had a common shared experience that, you know, that only they had together and trying to deal with each other. I really like the music in this. I think the music is, is by and large wonderful. I think that. It gets a lot right about uh, aging rock guys, and I, I've been around enough aging rock guys and seen uh, bands come back together and fall apart. That it, it kind of rings true, and I think it's an underseen film. I think that it's something that people can put on and watch and not be feel insulted or marginalized by. And I think that probably the core part of this film that's about men who worked together when they were younger and had issues that they did not resolve could probably be extrapolated to a multitude of work situations. I could see there being a, an old army buddies film like this, or, you know, a bunch of guys that worked in an office in their twenties and have gone their separate ways kind of thing that, that followed the same kind of story arc as this does. I also think it's wise in that it doesn't get too wacky but it doesn't stay too straight and heavy either. There, there's a couple of things I really liked with the, there's a couple of romances in the film, but they're not overbearing or too sappy. I like the idea that you see both young people and older people having romantic paths in their life, but they're not perfect. The obstacles aren't, you know, it, it's not wacky, stupid, you know, we bought the same gift or, you know, somebody t betrayed somebody in a, in a major way kind of thing. Yeah, there's just there's just a lot about this film that's charming. And to be perfectly honest, that end scene gets me choked up every time. Right, right. Hello, Belgium. Holland, you prick. I mean, like you, Eric, I guess I didn't see this as an A-plus film, but this does tend to follow a very similar path that the British in particular do very well, that I hate to use the word dramedy, but it does share that the comedy with the dramatic arc that seems to be you know what the British do so well. I mean, I'd gone and read a couple of reviews along the way, and they said the full Monty, which was the first film that came into my mind after I watched this. You know, men who they had so much to do within their work environment, and then found that they were on the scrap heap. And you know, we have a band that's long past its popular use-by date, and 20 years late. I mean, this needn't necessarily be a story about a band. It could be anyone who's in the workplace and have found that because of technology having crept in, they can't keep up and they know they've got something left to offer, but they're not really necessarily being given the chance. And I know that in particular, the, the lead singer character played by um, Bill Nye, he's going through that the whole film. You know, what starts off at the beginning, when we first see him giving the speech at his daughter's wedding, you thought, oh, is this <laughs> going to be some cliched hack of a character, some guy who's never let it go, and he's still pretending like he's giving a concert at Wembley, and he gets these flashes before his eyes. Hello, Wembley. Uh, as you know, I'm a man of music, and uh, Tamsin is a child of song. And I must say, she remains one of the best songs I ever wrote. I think our timing's a bit off. Uh, well, I should say rather co-wrote with her, with her mother, June, who we're 
lucky enough to have with us here today. There is one, uh, one, one word came to mind when I saw that sting. <laughs> Hello, Wembley. I've got yeah. a guy next to me with a plate in his mouth. But yes, now look, I, it is something that could apply to anyone, regardless of whether they're in a rock band or whether they're in an office. The need to feel valid in your life, and you know, because right. work often defines what we do. And there's been a number of sports movies that were yes. like this: football films, baseball films. Let's get the team back together again. You know, like that kind of thing. I think at its core, it's a reunion film with heart. Yeah, I was, I was going to say essentially uh, what you know, as you guys are all saying, it's about how shared experiences affect individuals and how the you know the, the paths that uh, their lives will take after that. It's like a lot of reunion things, I guess, it's about people coming together to maybe deal with that and deal with uh, where they are because of that. You know, while watching this film, it reminded me of a, of a quote from uh, Willie Nelson with a recent interview. He was kind of being snide with a young interviewer. You know, the guy had asked a really stupid question. He said, well, Willie, uh, you know, now you're up in your golden years. He said, uh, what are you going to do now? And Willie said, well, I was thinking about either becoming a plumber or an aerospace engineer. <laughs> he said, he's like, he's like, you know, like, look, man, I've been playing music for so long. This is what I do. This is what I love to do. He says, I do this and I play golf. That's all I have to fucking do. He's like, I don't have to do it. I don't have to do anything else. You know, like, this is what I do. You know, even though these guys are older, there's that thing in their heart that's never going to um, go away. Even though they have other careers and they're doing other things, yeah. that's right. not they are. Right. They are musicians. Right. And, you know, Jimmy Nail might have a roofing company, but he's not a roofer. So he's there's... a bass player and a singer and a songwriter, you know. And it was really nice to see Jimmy get out from behind the drum kit. <laughs> <laughs> You know, actually, speaking of him, there's a lovely, just little scene that, that's just the only scene you need for this with his wife. Les, it took us a long time to build this business up. Yeah, and I hate it, Camille. I really hate it. And she talks about, well, we built this company. And he says, yeah, we have, but I've hated every minute yeah. of it. Yeah. And there's, it doesn't blow up. It doesn't become this huge dramatic moment because she knows that. She doesn't need to yell at him about that, you know, and, and she's not also trying to completely shut him down. She's just it's, it's almost like she's trying to be this voice of offering the other point of view about about going off and doing the band again. And, and yeah. I just I think that's a lovely little scene that in a lot of films like this, they would have completely left out. And I think it's one of the things that that gives these characters heart. That scene illustrates one of the really, really positive things about this film, and and that's the writers, Dick Clement and Ian Lafrenet. Let's talk about them for a moment, because on the one hand, you know, they're responsible for one of my most favourite films of the last 25 years in The Commitments. Well, like, maybe we're a little white for that kind of thing. Do you not get it, lads? The Irish are the blacks of Europe, and Dubliners are the blacks of Ireland, and the Northside Dubliners are the blacks of Dublin. So say it once, say it loud. I'm black and I'm proud. And you know, another mm -hmm. great story about a band, but I guess at the other end of the spectrum, this is a band in Still Crazy who are reforming and The Commitments is a, a band that's starting up for the first time. And I think they get the nuances right about relationships within a band right, but right. In, in different ways. But I was also interested to 
read up that Dick Clement was uh, responsible, at least from a directorial position, of uh, not only but also he worked with Cook and Moore, which I love to read about. Well, I've never really felt the same ever since Mrs. Woolley made those astrological predictions. You shouldn't take any notice of Mrs. Woolley. She's the only palmist I know who predicts the future by looking at the soles of your feet. That gives me the horn. But it's interesting gave you the horn. Anything gives me the horn, I find. <laughs> uh, or Dick Clement co-wrote one of the most awful films of the last however many years in Across the Universe. And I'm a, I'm a Beatles tragic, but that's just a, a pound of fucking shite. <laughs> um, Clement and Lafrenet, they've been writing comedy and sitcoms since the mid-60s. And they've written some absolutely generally regarded as classic British sitcoms such as Porridge, which I don't know. Oh, were they behind that? that? Yeah, yeah, they wrote that. Porridge is great. Yeah, well. Um, I think they wrote, I'm just checking out, I've got a feeling they wrote uh, The Likely Lads as well, which was another huge British sitcom. But the thing is, because I think they've written so much of that kind of stuff over the years. Yeah, The Likely Lads written by Clement and Lafrenet. They're really good at kind of economical writing which is actually bringing the character out of the characters bringing you know actually humanizing them right because when you're writing about the same five six characters you know every week for 26 episodes or whatever you know you do fully flesh out those characters right and i think because uh, clement and frenet have got a, a history of doing that i think when they do something like the movie we're discussing that they kind of bring that to the table and it's right. like you were saying eric you just get little scenes where jimmy nell's just there you know playing his this little song that he wrote and just, you know little things which actually give the characters depth and humanity and there is there's a kind of a warmth and an empathy for them you feel for them they're, they're fully rounded people but that is done in a very kind of economic way you know right well you know what film- morris was saying about the commitments if you look at music almost like like a drug you know the commitments were this band that were just high as a kite we're gonna take on the world nothing's gonna stop us you know and they were just in in full buzz but with Strange Fruit, with Still Crazy, they're at the opposite end of the spectrum where the guys are sobered up now and that they're still feeling a little bit of it, but at the same time, they've come to the sober realization that they're at the end of the clock and not at the beginning, you know, and all the buzz sure, is yeah. worn off. So you're getting the full spectrum of it all, I think. They, you know, like Morris was saying, you know, with uh, the beginning with Bill Nye's, you know, uh, character at the wedding, they could have gone right into shtick with all of this. But I think what it is, you're getting that kind of still that that kind of pomp of the buzz of rock and roll with these guys. But at the same time, you've got the groundedness of, of the reality of their age and not just where they've been, but where they're going to. The affection that the writers and just, you know, I guess the, uh, the filmmakers in general are feeling towards these characters, they never push them too far into doing something like, you know, crazy and over the top and going into those kind of stereotypical kind of performances, you know? There's, um, because that affection's there and that kind of warmth, right? it's, uh, I, they kind of hold back a little bit and the film's all the better because of it, I think. I think also the film doesn't take any sides. It doesn't show anybody as being the, having the right point of view in their disagreements and their conflicts. But at the same time, it, it doesn't show anybody as being completely right or completely wrong. It just shows those conflicts as being there and kind of nuanced, and it gives you an, an insight to why those conflicts exist, and it's a legitimate yeah. reason yeah. for them to exist. It's not some trumped-up nonsense. 
And also, I think uh, because of what Tim was saying, I, I sent you guys all the trailer for a film called Vinyl. Did, uh, did you guys get a chance to watch the trailer at all, or any of you seen the movie? I, I, I watched the trailer, watch. not seen the film. Yes, okay. Sir. So apparently it's based on the true story of something that happened with the UK band The Alarm, who were an, an 80s band. That had really? some hits in the yeah. They had some hits in the I, UK. I didn't know that was the alarm. Goodness, yeah. Okay, yeah, this I remember is them. Yeah. Mike uh, Mike Peters was it? Yeah, I believe so. Was it, so was the it, story was it the alarm who were writing the songs for the younger band? Yes. Apparently, oh, okay. what happened right. is they went to their record company with this new song that they had, and the record company was like, "No, you're a bunch of old geezers. Nobody really cares." So they go out and they get these young people to perform the the song, and it becomes a massive hit. And this movie, Vinyl, is is based on that. And it has a very similar feel because it's about the same kinds of things of a group that has not been together for years, that had hits in its heyday, that had a fan base, are, you know, finding themselves for, for whatever reason, wanting to have a reunion and, you know, finding that in this case, the record company has no interest because of the uh, their age, which maybe is a commentary on the difference between, I think that the, the actual thing with the alarm happened around 2010. So it's only 12 years after Still Crazy that this film comes out. You know, it's kind of a dramedy, and it's mainly about a bunch of middle-aged white British guys, but it's still got, to a certain degree, that heart and that empathy without being over-the-top or too light that Still Crazy has. And I think that, like I said, I think they're a great pairing. I think that they're both worth seeing side-by-side. And, you know, personally, you know, I don't need to see a movie like this every year, but... If I could see a movie with that same kind of feeling every five or six years, I'd be I'd be pleased as punch. In reading some articles online, I thought it was a fairly lazy comparison that they've gone and made with uh, Still Crazy with this Spinal Tap. But what I saw as a more relevant comparison, and yet it's still staying within that Christopher Guest ballpark, is A Mighty Wind. Because there right. we've got yeah. a, a situation done in a more out-and-out, uh, satirical, humorous way. Right, uh, about right. these folk groups that you know are getting together many years later, and yet I think a lot of the same points are still made and made very, right. very well. Not to go off on a tangent, but like I like to listen to audiobooks sometimes when I'm I'm walking around with the dog, and I've been recently listening to uh, this uh, biography of No Effects, the punk California punk band No Effects, mm-hmm. Hep- Hepatitis Bathtub. And they're talking about the beginning of when they started playing as a band. And so they were all nervous going out, you know, and they're throwing up, you know, for the first time playing in front of an audience because not because they're drunk, but because they were shit scared. They were kids. And they're saying, you know, nobody even clapped. Nobody even yelled at us. They just looked at us and walked away. And it was and they said they felt so dejected. Right. But I'm thinking in my mind after I heard that, it really made something click with this film because it was like, man, you've got to have a set of balls on you to be able to just go out there 30 or five years later or 40 years later and say, hello, you know, we are Alex Harvey band or hello, we are the Sweet," or whatever. You know, I mean, it was hard enough to do it as a kid and get out there and do your thing in front of an audience. But to actually do it 35 years later as a middle aged person, you know, there's something to be said for that as cheesy as and, you know, as people uh, say it is or, you know, it's such low hanging fruit like Spinal Tap and all of that. There's something to really be said about people that can still go out there and let it swing. You know what I mean? Like you have to admire those people. Well, and to keep going, because one of the things I also like about this film is before they play this big reunion concert, they play a couple of dates in Europe in clubs. 
that maybe aren't the greatest. And the band is kind of ramshackle, and they're missing their their original guitarist. And it's you know there's there's still a certain amount of of ego. It's not like everything is okay from day one. No. There's still these conflicts and and things that need to be resolved. And you know their performances aren't great, but you see as they go along that there's little by little that they build that camaraderie back up. They, through talking to each other largely, come to terms with issues and whatnot, and that they get better as a band and performance-wise as things move along. And yet, you know, I was reminded of, um, ladies and gentlemen, the uh, fabulous Staines. Right. Yeah. With Bill Nighy character, he was kind of reminded me of the uh, character that is it Fee Wayville from the Tubes. That's right. right. Yes, yes. Plays in that. That uh, he, you know, he really kind of popped into my head watching Bill Nye, and particularly that, you know, when they're playing in that shitty little it's that kind of boat, isn't it? And um, yeah. he's yeah. really going for it, and winds up smashing pipes off of the ceiling because he's waving his microphone stand around and stuff. <laughs> the Tubes were the exact band that came into my head while watching that scene, but sort of for a different okay. reason because. Like you know, back in the 70s when the tubes were a thing and Fee Weibel would get dressed up as his character Quaalude or in his bondage right. gear for Mondo Bondage <laughs> or any of those things and yet many years later you know, well like nowadays the tubes they're just doing the bar circuit just doing smaller venues and Fee Weibel is basically said look we're not doing the costumes anymore we're just letting the music speak for themselves I'm not getting dressed up we've come to the realisation we're just a damn good rock band and that's what mm-hmm. we're going to do and so th- i saw more as a contrast to the tubes you know the, the bill nye character hasn't let go he's thinking right it's it's not 20 years later it's one day later from that concert right you want the man right you want the man you want a man you want a goddamn motherfucking man kick some ass the rest, yeah, of the, yeah. band, the rest of the band have worked out that it's later. Bill Nye hasn't. And there's that great moment where he gets the birthday cake. I was going to say. He, yeah, yeah. he says, I'm not fucking 50 years old. 50. I'm not 50. I have to take umbrage with this, man, because you know what? I mean, I'm not too far away, and I ain't no fucking geezer like Bill Nye. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, I, la- I laughed at that. That was a little bit like, I'm like, Bill, you're not 50, man. You're a 60-year-old playing 50 here. Yeah, yeah. I, like, he was like, I'm not 50. I'm like, you're right. You're not 50, dude. Like, come on. You know, like, I just had to laugh at that. Well, there's not a bad performance from the main cast in here, and I don't think it's a bad performance at all, but from the main cast, I think he really is the heart of this film. And I love the fact that when he talks, except when he's on stage, that he kind of stutters and is is kind of timid and uh, not real confident. But once he's on stage, you know, he's on his element. You know, even when he's giving that speech at the wedding, you know, there's this cockiness yeah, yeah. to him. But when right. when he's away he's from that, yeah. yeah, there's this fragility yeah. and this, you know, this hesitancy that I thought really, really kept his character from being, you know, the ass of the whole film. You know, they kind of pick on him a little bit, but I don't think anybody really hates each other. Maybe if I was dead, I'd get some respect. It would be a start. I think no. there's probably some resentment and some disappointment. But I think Nahi is just, he's amazing in this role. I think it's probably one of his better performances that people don't know. There's a point where he goes after the drummer when he just says, You know, all the time I've known you, man, spiritually, emotionally, there's been like zero growth. You're what they call a flatliner. <laughs> well, it's better than being a wanker. 
and Bino the drummer says, "Yeah, but at least I'm not a wanker, man." <laughs> <laughs> like that's that's funny. The irony of that is obviously that you know the Bill Nye character hasn't changed or evolved. One no, 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 yes. But you know the, exactly the, same. the way the way Nye plays this role is funny. I don't know if you guys have ever seen any live footage of Ten Years After with Alvin Lee. And when Alvin Lee's on stage, when he's talking, he talks like this, and then, you know, <laughs> all right, the next song is going to be, da, da, da. you know, and he's just, it's like he's mumbling or it's like he's half asleep. I mean, the way Nye talks to this whole film, it's like he, he's almost like he's just in this shell of himself and he's just chirping out this little kind of thing until he gets on stage and then that's his element. But what's ironic about it is that at the same time, it's not his element either as, as yeah. You know, yeah. The film progresses, right? From a great performance perspective, even though his character isn't as, I guess, three-dimensional, as well-rounded as Bill Nye's character, I also have to give huge, huge props to Timothy Spall. The more I see mm-hmm. Timothy Spall, the more I think he's really one of the, this generation's great actors. And like, I think it was about a week ago, I was at the cinema and they showed a trailer for a film I'm definitely going to be seeing called uh, Denial about the uh, David Irving, Deborah Lipstadt court cases about the Holocaust denial. And Timothy Spall, just watching him in this trailer, really he took on that whole role of David Irving just from the two minutes that I could see, completely absorbed it. And and what he does as Bino here is just, he's having a lot of fun with it, but just, I respect his acting chops. I think the man is magnificent. I, I'm beginning to wonder if there's anything he can't do. And the other sort of thing I thought while watching him was that this was the character in the that he played in the film that we discussed very recently, Rockstar. I, yes. I just I like yeah. to think that the character in Rockstar was Bino and Right. <laughs> and I, I was gonna say he's the he's a see here MVP, definitely. <laughs> because, you know, he was also in another film and I'm I i do not think we covered it, but that film about the pirate radio. Uh, oh yeah, yeah which yeah, also now he, he was, was in. He was. Is yeah. that the boat that rocks? Yeah. Yeah. See that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He was yeah, in that yeah, one. That. No, so I'm saying he's a see here MVP man. Like I mean, yeah. you know, he he's a music man, definitely. Well, he's he's a classic example, uh, Timothy Spall, of, of somebody who kind of started out as a sort of comic actor, and I think he still doesn't get the props he's due because a oh. lot of people still think of him that way. I mean, he's phenomenal. He really is good. Face, he totally looks to me like Dave from Slade. He, uh, he's got, Dave Hill. Yeah, he looks like Dave Hill, man. Like he's got that face, that face about him. It looks like yeah, Dave Hill. Yeah, I can kind of see that. It's slightly mm. fatter, Dave Hill. It's, yeah, yeah. He's got a full-on West Country accent as well in this, which is you hear that mm. accent where you know that's where I'm from, basically. Yeah. So uh, yeah, he was West Country represent. Yeah. So I believe he was in Quadrophenia, and I'm struggling to remember him. It's mm-hmm. His character's Harry the Projectionist, and I'm thinking, huh, where? Um, was he in a scene with Sting? Yeah. I, I remember that the last time I watched Quadrophenia and it's, I was blown away when I thought, hang on, there's Ray Winstone in this. Holy shit. Oh, yeah. Timothy Spall, I'm struggling to remember where he was. If it's true that men are from Mars and women are from Venus, then drummers are from Pluto. So uh, at some point, I may need to have a, um, an asylum application to Sweden, so I need to bring up Helena Bergstorm. Tell me, Astrid, how are Kirby stealing oaks? I never listen to their music. They're your estate agents. The ones trying to unload Wuthering Heights, so don't tell me you don't need this. <laughs> You're a bloody nosy bitch, Karen. Also a slut. 
to uh, who, who is <laughs> sure. uh, a very well-known actress in Sweden. And the helicopters guys had a story about her popping up in one of their videos because she was filming in the studio next door to where they were uh, doing the video. But she's kind of the heavy, but she's not – once again, she's not shown as the villain. She obviously cares about Ray, the Bill Nighy character, who's essentially her boyfriend. And I think that she does really well with a role that could have been really badly played. Absolutely. I mean, she's, she's got a small role in the film, and she kind of knocks it out of the park with doing that. And obviously, as a Swede, you know, English isn't her first language. And Sweden, she's a big star. She stars in films. So uh, to have a small role in a smaller British film and just hit every note kind of perfectly... Because, like I said, that could have gone so off the rails, and it didn't. Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, she, yeah. She's the uh, opposite end of the the character you were talking about before, Eric, of uh, yeah, Les's wife. wife. She comes, and I guess like the Bill Nye character, the first time you see her, you think, all right, cliche, we know everything there is to know about yeah. it. But cleverly, Clement and Lafrenay, they say, no, we're going to turn that notion on their head. She's not just the the all uh, bitchy wife who's trying to control you know, Bill Nye's character, she mm. genuinely gives a damn. She knows what his weaknesses are after he's come out of the ice. And really, why was there no talk about hypothermia? That was fun. Yeah. I'm, I'm really <laughs> but yeah, yeah. but when, when she comes in and says, I expected you guys to look after him. You, and you think, okay, she's really is very three-dimensional. You know why she's got the helicopter wife yes. a, a, approach. And um, yeah, there, it was a lot more to her than originally meets the eye in the first few minutes when right. you Bill Nye though like, there was one moment when uh, he made me laugh because it completely reminded me of the young ones there's a scene in the movie where he gets separated from the rest of the band and he's out on the street and he meets the dealer and he says do you want to go up or do you want to go down no, definitely down. Yeah, I'm down. You know, it completely, completely reminded me of Neil. <laughs> it was just like, listen, listen, just don't bring me down again, all right? Did Maybe you recognise that dealer? No. That was Mackenzie Crook, who was in the original UK, The Office, uh, and I think he's in all the Pirates of the Caribbean films as well. Oh, okay. Oh, no, I didn't even pick up on that. Yeah, wow. he, I mean, he's only in it for like 10 seconds. At most yeah, well, I mean, there's a, but, yeah. there's a lot of great little roles, like the guy that plays Brian, is the director of With Nail and I. Oh, wow. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. No, I was quite startled to see him do that because, you know, he's not known as an actor. So I was like, really? Bruce Robinson? That Bruce Robinson? You talked about, you know, the Pirates of the Caribbean because Timothy Sprawl's in the Pirates of the Caribbean and Nye oh, is, yeah, yeah, right. is one of the leads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I refuse to watch those films, so uh, I wouldn't know. But <laughs> the first one was entertaining. Second one was okay. I didn't yeah, see any about number nine now or something stupid, aren't they? They Whatever. just keep yeah. cranking them out. Yeah. But isn't isn't that a thing it though is. in in England, Bernie, where you know there's some big budget film and the complete acting fraternity of England turns up to make even a small appearance. I mean, that was wasn't it? You know, the Harry yeah. Potter, the Harry Potter franchise was keeping every actor yeah. in, in England. Pretty in much work. all the British actors were. Uh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Can't really see this happening, can you, Tom? I mean, you all hated each other in the end. Well, hate's a bit heavy. No, I just need a few phone numbers. That's all, Karen. I feel I owe it to the guys to at least let them know about it. Some of them may not be doing so well. Desperate times, best forgotten. I didn't have rock and roll to last a lifetime. So you gave it all up for this? One thing that always kind of has to stick with me is how authentic a band comes across as. Yeah. I mean, like, because you're, it's going to totally take you out of 
the film if, if if you see these guys that you know are just actors just going through the paces what did you guys think about you know how well they came across the cohesiveness as them playing as the strange fruits it was kind of apparent that at least two or three of them were musicians or were able to play their instruments anyway oh yeah um and the, the maybe the ones that weren't i don't know they'd obviously done enough research and you know actually learned to fake it pretty well because i thought they got away with it i thought it worked really well and right. as they progressed through the film and as they were obviously getting better and tighter as a band i totally bought that it totally worked watching timothy spall behind the drum kit though i watched and thought no, you're not a drummer. <laughs> Close though, wasn't he? I mean, he wasn't. Yeah. He wasn't just completely. Well, that's why you put the actor behind the drum kit because yeah, usually go, yeah, visually yeah. you don't see them well enough. Right. But uh, well, Jimmy Nail actually has. I mean, he's a fairly well-known actor over here anyway. But um, right. he's also had a career as a musician and had uh, several chart-topping singles over the years. So yeah, that was definitely all him. I was going to say, Morris. You know, I, I've known your progeny to pick up a bass, but I never thought that you would. <laughs> Shut up. Oh man, how can you say that uh, Morris looks like uh, Jimmy now? I'm going to send you pictures of a younger Jimmy now, which are just going to yeah, smell that up. notion forever. I was when, up. Remind me the next time you come to visit me to punch you out. I'll thump him if he calls me Big Nose again. <laughs> what? So, There's nothing this wrong with is that. Another, um, this is another Clement and Lafrenet connection. Uh, and Timothy Spall's in this as well, because they, uh, Clement and Frenet wrote a hugely popular TV show in the early 80s here called Auf de Saint Pet, which was about a, a group of sort of northern British people who went to Germany to work. And in, I guess in a weird way, it's a similar setup because you've got five or six guys who are living abroad so they can earn money to send back home. But Jimmy Nell was kind of like the breakout star of that TV show. Uh, and Timothy Spall was in it as well, so there's obviously connections there with the writers, you know, so... And we weren't crap. We were seriously, diabolically shite. So the other thing that makes or breaks a music film besides the being able to perform is the actual music. And I'm, I'm on record as being a big fan of generally the music on this, but especially that song, The Flame Still Burns, which is very much like a big 70s kind of rock ballad, but works in my mind perfectly as that kind of a song. What did you guys think of the music in this? It's not the sort of thing I would have gone at and bought, i got to tell you right now. In fact, probably okay. my, my favorite song of the film was the one that they were doing on the bus with Billy Connolly on the banjo. They were oh, just yeah, okay. stretching out and having a little bit of fun. That I really liked, but I thought, okay. It, it doesn't mean I can't deal with them as a band or as a story, but musically, they were not the sort of band I would have attended now, at any stage, I think. Would you be surprised to hear, Morris, I don't know how deeply you looked into this, but you know Chris Difford from Squeeze wrote had, a lot of the music with us. I, I, yeah. I, re- I had read that, and it's, it's not to disparage, oh, Chris, you wrote a shitty song or whatever. But, yeah, sure, but, but it's just... just to be, so Chris, you have to work to this brief. We're having a, a, a big stadium yeah, rock course. band, yeah, yeah. and this is the sort of stuff that you're going to do. He said, yep, sure, I can write anything that you want. But yes, I had read that there were a lot of a lot of the great songwriters of, of English. Well, you had the... Yeah, I thought Jeff wrote some of this, and um, is it Mick Jones who was in? I think he was in Spooky Tooth. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the dude from uh, Foreigner as well. So yeah, um, sound more like a Foreigner sort of band. To me, yeah, to me totally, they sound yeah. like they sound a little bit like Fair to Middling Status Quo to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Spooky Tooth and Status Quo get name checked in this. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. Well, they do. They do remind me of Status Quo, like especially that all over the world 
Yeah. Because, you know, I, re I remember, and I'm dating myself, but uh, I remember actually sitting on a Saturday morning watching the beginning of the Live Aid concert, and the first band to play Live Aid globally was Status Quo. Status Quo, yeah, yeah. And, and they played rocking all over the world. And so, I mean, you know, it's just so funny how, you know, the whole world is watching and this band comes out and it's just like, good evening, Cleveland! <laughs> you know, like, where's Status Quo? And then you hear the crickets, you know, it's just like, okay. Yeah. Even, even if this style of music isn't your thing, did it fit the era of music they were trying to portray? Oh, yeah, look, 100%. I think they, oh, yeah. got, they oh, yeah. got their brief completely right. I, I, it doesn't mean that I'm watching the film and thinking, ugh, I can't listen to this. It just means mm -hmm. I'm taking it in as a right. story. And the, the authenticity was there. Absolutely make no mistake. And really, I, I mean, I wonder if they were just like a band that was stylistically different, would their urgency to be in front of their fans be somewhat different? No. It, it, mm -hmm. it, was, it was authentic in terms of what they were playing and what they wanted in terms of wanting to be everything to the general there, public again. There, there was one thing, though, that kind of got me. Well, it, it, it didn't turn my nose up that bad, but there, I just thought it was kind of funny where, you know, when they initially get back together in the first place, Nye, he walks into this pub and he says, Why are we meeting here? We shot an album cover here years ago. No, no, I know it's before Ray's time, isn't it? Yeah. I remember we dropped some acid in the Druid Circle. They talk about going outside and then they see the rocks like Stonehenge and it's mm -hmm. like, remember when we all dropped acid and then it all goes into that kind of back, you know, like psychedelic music, yeah. you know, and I just expected this long haired Indian guy to pop up in the background <laughs> and go, hello, you know, like just kind of like a Maharishi, you know, <laughs> it was almost like a condensed Beatles moment, you know, yeah, it was kind of nodding uh, Black to Black Sabbath kind of a thing. Yeah, sure, it was, yeah, yeah. It was kind of nodding to that. And that's why I'm saying I kind of expected a little Indian guy to pop mm. up in the field somewhere and just, hello, you know. Like, you, you had that, that little kid with his boombox and the herd of sheep come over yeah, right. here with me. Well, that, that yeah. also is an organic way to set up the some of the conflict because yeah, that's yeah. where we first find out that Nahi's character was actually not originally in the band and he was replacing somebody's brother who had died. Right. And that that was one of the uh, the conflicts. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And the other one, too, was not, not to get into any spoilers in this film, but would you guys also say, I would say there's kind of a Sid Barrett Oh, most uh, definitely. Not in the... Yeah, with yeah. a certain character, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 character, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. While we're um, talking about the music, I did just want to mention that the uh, the incidental music was dreadful mm. and really kind of inappropriate and out of place with the rest of the film. It's that kind of the bane of the late 90s TV movie yeah. kind of thing. It was that kind of drum and bass lights, you know? It, it really stuck out like a sore thumb, I thought. Okay. For whatever reason, that it did not click with me at all. You know, if I also want to point out about the music, as I said, I really like that song, "The Flame Still Burns," and that actually popped up on the show Californication at the uh, end of season six. It was kind of like, I was watching that, and I'm like, "Whoa, I know this song!" And it was it was kind of uh, interesting to see that it's had at least that other pickup from somebody in it yeah, being played yeah. by a guy that's supposed to be an English yeah. rock star. So I'll agree with you, Eric, that you know, despite the fact that you know, the song to me is just you know, another big stadium rocker but mm -hmm. once again without giving anything away that film was responsible for a very deliberate emotional manipulation of my heartstrings if you're sort of watching that and completely ambivalent then check your pulse it, it, it was a, it was a really lovely moment i think it's a combination of the the song and just little things that the characters do that repair some of the conflicts between them and it's not hugely dramatic things, it's just little things 
And I think when it comes to people having a, a moment of coming back together and repairing relationships, that that's probably more reality than big grand gestures. That scene actually has two of those sorts of moments. One in terms of repairing damage done and the flow on consequence, which you, you see from the side, we don't hear any audible dialogue, but Billy Connolly does something in giving someone a guitar. And yeah. I, I like to think that in an American film, maybe a bigger deal would be made of it. Here, it's a little bit more subtle. It's all like, almost like you're a casual observer from a few meters away. That was the moment where I thought, okay, I'm about to lose it. That's, yeah, that really yeah. worked for me. Once again, that, but, that comes down to good writing, good directing, and yeah. somebody that, that has a sense of what it is they're trying to accomplish from this film and, and give the audience the catharsis that it's been building up to. Yep. Yeah. yeah, I was having a discussion a while ago with a friend of mine, and she's in a touring band, and she had said something that really stuck in my craw. She said, you know, playing music and being in a band, it's like an onion, because it's like, you know, initially when you, you get together as a band, you think it's all of this, but then slowly, you know, it just layers unravel, and then and when you get on stage, that's it. That's the core. All the trappings are all the the buses and all the, the, the VIP and all the, the laminates, all that, that's all just layers of it. But the core is when you get on stage and that's what brings it all together, you know? All in service to that moment, isn't it? That, right, that's exactly. That's the whole point of it all. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And I mean, and that's the thing with, I guess, any great art is that when, you know, you're uh, basically bringing it all together, it, you know, everything is all just kind of window dressing. When it boils down to it, man, like that's it. That's the thing with this, you know, the end of this film, when they're actually playing the big show, it just, everything else is just a moot point. I think we've had a good lengthy conversation about this film. Just final thoughts going around the table. Eric, you first. As I said before, I, I don't think this is a perfect film. I think it's a very watchable, entertaining film. I think that it, it does a good job of balancing the the themes and the music and the watchability. And uh, I really, really think it's entertaining. hope some people will check it out because I feel like it's underknown. Uh, there is also, if you look on YouTube, Trailers from Hell, there's a great one with Mick Garris talking about this film. And talking about relating it to his own experiences of having been in a band in the 70s and feeling like it gets more right than most most movies do about this subject. Yeah, if, if you guys like this, also, I highly recommend giving vinyl 20 minutes and seeing if that, that catches your ear or your eye. That was a fun film. Yeah, that's that's about it. Yeah, I, I would totally recommend this. It, it's gentle. You can kind of, and I don't mean that as a... Um, uh, you know, a negative thing is you could probably sit down with your grandmother and watch this, you know, which you probably couldn't say about most rock and roll films. <laughs> but, you know, in, in, in a positive way, it's gentle, it's warm, you know, a real kind of humanity at its core. It's not laugh out loud funny, but it is funny in places. It would be so easy, as, as we've been saying all the way through this, to kind of go for the, uh, you know, really push it and get kind of silly or go for the uh, sort of real overt sort of bombast. But it doesn't do that. And um, it's just a nice, gentle, almost feel-good kind of film that just really connects. So I'd wholeheartedly recommend it. Yeah, really enjoyed it. Well, you know, you were saying something in the beginning of this episode about where dramedy or, you know, like it's, it's a blend. Well, this film is just life. It's not a music film. It's not a comedy. It's not drama. It's just life. And I think what we've been saying throughout the whole episode is that it's it's five guys 
that are just had a moment and they kind of fell out of sorts and then they're trying to find their way again. And I think the whole film does that swimmingly. I think it's a it's a great film. And it's kind of a film as you can sit down with your children and, you know, and the kids would be like, oh, dad. Oh, that's totally a dad moment. You know, like, <laughs> dad, was that really like, is that how people rock back then? Oh, yeah. You know, like there's that element to it, too. But it, it can be shared on, on different age levels. But I think, you know, uh, Bernie said, you know, this is a sweet film. And I think in the end, it's a great kind of postcard to a different era, you know, but the feelings, uh, the fire still burns. I want to just sort of finish off with saying, I, I guess, you know, we've been pretty positive about this film throughout this discussion, but you know, I guess, you know, Eric, you said, and I do agree with you that this isn't necessarily a full-on classic. And I'd say for me, the reason why is that I found the characters absolutely fascinating, but the story arc sort of, if not quite written to a template, but written in a way that, yeah, okay, we know where this is going to go. We know what's inevitable. But that's not necessarily a completely horrible thing. You know, I sort of feel like this is comfort food. And, you know, we all love our comfort food films. But I just sort of found that the characters were really, really interesting. Well, at least there, there are a couple of characters that were a little underdeveloped, so we never really got a story arc for the young guitarist who comes in to take Brian's place. So, you know, we, we see him a little bit, but it's just like, no, okay, the rest of the film, yeah, he's there to be the guitar player for the one who disappeared. So we don't get enough of him. But I, I, but I think the characters who are there, they do endear themselves to us and they do have some great three-dimensional attributes in some regards with the story arc it might be things that we've seen before but i'm not going to take it to town for that but that's i guess what stops it from being an all-time classic and where i sort of think that for me the commitments was a better film it was telling a band story rise and fall and i I found that to be uh, what you were saying before tim it's real life i found the commitments to be more real life but sure sure i'm I'm not i'm not going to take that away from still crazy i still think it was a really well-made film and the the final thing i do want to say there's a, a running gag through the film that is spoiled in the trailer I won't sort of give away too much, but I will say I did love the running gag, which reaches its, uh, <laughs> its end uh, involving Climax. The, the yeah, very good, <laughs> the, very good with the Internal Revenue Service. I won't say yeah, anything, yeah. but I did love that. That was that was a great thing. So you're not from the Inland Revenue then? That basically comes up with devil horns up from all of us, right? Yeah, absolutely. But let's talk about episode 40 of uh, the See Here podcast. A film for next month. This is my choice. And I guess it's a bit of both up and down. It is a bittersweet film. This is a film that I sort of thought would be appropriate because you put on Facebook that you were watching it only about a month ago, Bernie. And I am definitely skating on... Very thin ice as to whether this meets the sea here, credo, yeah. or not, but I figure I'm going to go with it anyway. And the film is, I can't remember the exact year, I'll have to look that up. It's an early 80s. I think it's 84, isn't it? I 84. think 84. An early 80s film directed by Woody Allen. This is Broadway Danny Rose. And the music link is it's uh, because it's about... A, uh, a one-hit wonder has been and a second opportunity for life for him, but the, the story tends out to be less about him than it does around the characters who are trying to bring him back to life. But I'm going to run with it anyway because it is a favourite film. It's certainly a favourite Woody Allen film for me. I've got an agreement in principle to have a third appearance on the show by a very good friend, Frank Santopadre, from Gilbert Gottfried, the amazing colossal podcast 
to join us. So um, I figured, right, well, while I was sort of thinking, should we do it? Should we not do it? But when Frank said, yep, I'll join you, I thought, right, it's a no-brainer. We're going to do this. Broadway Danny Rose for episode 40 of the See Here podcast. Really very much looking forward to talking about that next month. Eric, thank you so much for selecting thank Still you, Crazy for us. Yeah, well, thank you for Eric. having me. Any uh, other projects besides Love That Album on the on the horizon? You're going to be doing anything? You're going to bring Ricardo out of uh, retirement to do another uh, film podcast? Yeah, Ricardo and I actually recorded a couple of um, weeks ago a best of 2016 film podcast. I don't believe he's put that out yet. And uh, we are talking about trying to do some more stuff. It's all about scheduling and whatnot. Now, where and, are you uh, with I'm, the, the Canon stuff? Oh, we're going to get back to that. It's been a while. I, you know, he, had, he and his wife had a baby, so that's taken up a lot of time. And uh, we, we are also talking about getting back to that. I don't remember offhand what the films we were going to watch next time were. Maybe Over the Top and Firewalker were two of them. So there's that. And as far as music goes, I was recently on an episode of the Dig Me Out podcast nice. talking about the Twisted Willie tribute album, which was a uh, Seattle tribute to Willie Nelson that came out in the... <sighs> In the mid-90s, right. and it also featured Johnny Cash and Will and Jennings and Chris Kristofferson and Willie himself showed up. Super and, Suckers. Yep, Super Suckers. It's, it's, a, it's an album that I, I quite enjoy. The Dig Me Out guys had kind of a mixed take on it. Uh, there were a couple songs they really liked and a couple songs they didn't, and a lot of their issues were more production band-oriented than maybe and maybe performance rather than, than any problems with the artist in particular. So. Uh, that was that was fun to do. Other than that, it's just been the uh, Love That Album compilation edition, and we just put out a really strange one that, I don't know, I don't know if people are going to dig it or not, but um, hey, if you want to hear me doing something different, that one's definitely uh, a kind of a different, from, different from, take on the whole thing. From the time of this recording, it was put out about maybe three, four days ago, so yeah, go check that. That would be episode, I can't remember, compilation episode number yeah, 30. Something. It just called Beware the Ides of 37, March. I believe. Right. Yep. Beware the Ides of March. So, yes. Mm. Episode 37, Beware the Ides of March. Yes, right. indeed. Yeah, that's what I've been up to as far as uh, podcasting. Then I've been doing my video blog over on YouTube showing vinyl and talking about records and stuff. So Nice. Nice. Keep an eye out for that. If you're on the Love That Album Facebook page, Eric will uh, post up whatever videos he has to there, or you can subscribe. What's your YouTube channel that people can subscribe to? It's just it's just under my name. It's just right. under Eric Peterson. So right. and if anybody's interested, you can you can ask on the Facebook. That's the easiest way to get a hold of me, and I'll be more than happy to point you in the right direction. Fantastic. So. All right. Well, uh, once again, thanks for being a part of it, Eric. And Tim, Bernie, and myself, and hopefully uh, Frank, next month we'll... Uh, discuss Broadway Danny Rose so until next month be nice to each other try not to have too many political arguments try only to have banned arguments because that's really what makes the world go round I think so until then be well cheers cheers goodbye hail hail rock and roll Yeah.